Hello. Hello, everybody. It is a Wednesday night. It is Wednesday once again. In the later parts of June. June 22, 2022. And one hell of a day it has been. But I am ending it, or not ending it. This is just like one of the later chapters of an average day of mine. One of the more um, exercising chapters. We are here for another episode of Quite Frankly. And now it is the pre-show. What do we do in the pre-show? We get all of our announcements out of the way. We sharpen our knives and do a little bit of a grab bag. And we have a wonderful show tonight. We're talking about free speech. We're talking about information technocracy. We're talking about so many great things with a uh, long-time friend of mine, Bill Ottman, the founder of Minds.com. And we actually go back a long way, so we're going to talk about that, and then we're, we're, what everybody's working on today, this great event that he's got going on in New York City over the weekend, this weekend that's coming up, and, uh, and then the world at large, and there's a, there's a lot going on in the world at large, so I'm happy that you guys are here on this June 22nd. I want to um, jump right in, jump right into the grab bag because I did all my, I've been talking about my guest spots and all that other stuff coming up soon. You know, the rest of this week is going to be nice and filled up. Next week is going to be interesting, starting off with uh, Rich Barris in uh, on, quite frankly, and then June 28th, Tuesday, I will be at Timcast IRL. That's a, that'll be a big day in this show's history. Chrissy Mayer will be in studio on June 29th. We've got Dr. Sean Morton. We've got Jay Gulinello on July 1st. We're going to be talking about barbecue season nutrition, post-workout nutrition. I'm finally going to break the uh, the topic of gluten with Jay Gulinello, a based nutritionist that everybody should listen to, so he'll be on. And then much, much more is going on. In fact, I, can, I, have, I have one more booking I can tell you about today. I told you that in July, July 18th, Sean from the SGT Report and Corey Diggs will be back on with us. We'll be doing that as a, uh, you know, a, uh, a group again, a group call. But then on July 19th, it's a Tuesday, I have brought artist George Alexopoulos in with Razor Fist. We finally got Razor Fist. George and Razor, they just got together to do a collaboration of uh, a, a graphic novel that uh, Razor Fist put together, and he asked George to do the illustrations. I said, well, this is just a great way to finally break the ice. And this came together pretty quick. So George will be in studio on July 19th, and Razor Fist will be zooming in from his half of the country. And that is going to be a wonderful time. So we are, we are riding high right into the jaws of August. God willing, keep us healthy and strong, please. Okay, now into the grab bag we go. 659 do a little bit of this, and then we will just open up and bring in our guests for the evening. Who is it? Who is it going to be on the grab bag that we get started off with? Is it going to be... It's Uncovered DC. That's where we're going. It's Uncovered DC. This was written by Wendy Mahoney, good friend of the show. And Wendy, that's a black screen, Wendy Mahoney. Navy video signals Biden's comprehensive LGBTQ agenda. A Navy video. I said, what? What are you talking about? Then again, we saw some of the United States military recruitment videos recently that are all cartoon and, and um, 
And I don't know. But here you go. This recently surfaced Navy training video detailed the proper handling of pronouns in the... <laughs> Uh, in deference to LGBTQ plus community, it's just one of many signs of... Oh, man, you better watch out, Putin. Putin better watch his back because the he-hims are coming. Don't... You do not want to... You don't want to face down a he-him in a dark alley. So this is the, this is the Navy. Here's a, here's a uh, Navy sailor training video. Let's listen to this. Hi, my name is Johnny, and I use he-him pronouns. Uh -oh. Hi, and I am Kanchi, and I use she-her pronouns. And we're here to talk about... Pronouns. What is a pronoun? A pronoun is how we identify ourselves apart from our name. This is the mil you know that military, a military for any country, ladies and gentlemen, has one, one, one purpose only. That is to deliver lethal force when the nation, the company, the neighborhood it's supposed to be protecting is uh, is somehow been threatened. This is a, a fighting force that is to do nothing but kill. This is unbelievable. I think that the best thing that the Navy could have done is sent everybody, every new recruit, to go watch Top Gun Maverick. That would have gotten them all on their heels, get ready to go and, and uh, have dogfights again, and even though that doesn't really happen anymore. Which I think is a really good op opportunity to talk about things with Bill tonight. Because I think that's one of the more buried themes of the, the new Top Gun, and that is, that is you have this old, um, this old guard of people who want to man aircraft who want it's really it's really about the human behind the machine and how everybody's always trying to get those those really talented individuals get ready to, for retirement so that a robot could take its place i think that's a really uh, one of those buried themes of the video of the of the movie but we'll, we'll get around to that in a little bit uh staying on that um on that theme but now only going over to ukraine there was an LGBT group that was very upset, very upset with one of Zelensky's, President Zelensky's advisors. They want him fired. Um, Kiev Pride has accused Alexei Arestovich of being a homophobe for stating that its members are people with deviations. Now, I mean, here's the thing here. This, of course, made me had a, had a laugh because, you know, Ukraine, of course, is the land of milk and honey these days where it's it's just there's nothing there's nothing to look into but the lgbt incorporated it is a very very specific group fascistic group that pretends to represent a much larger demographic um lgbt incorporated is now starting to learn that only uh, not only are cia backed nazis largely in control of the government out there but they don't celebrate homosexuality like we have been forced to in the united states so I, I guess this is like a learning game because nobody even knew where to point out Ukraine on a map until a couple of months ago. So there you go. Now they want Zelensky to start firing advisors. Um, New York Post. New York Post. I get all of my food by dumpster diving. Trolls say they'd never want to eat at my house, but jokes on them. I'm saving loads. A nurse has gone viral on social media after revealing how she dives deep into the trash to find food. With inflation now hitting at 6.2%. 6 yeah, okay. In what universe is it that low? And squeezing family budgets. Most people are forced to look for ways to spend less, whether that means ditching your daily coffee at Starbucks or finding a cheaper Primark dupe. But despite having less money and higher expenses than ever, people all around the globe, the world 
continue to bin food, with Brits throwing away a fifth of their grocery shopping. Wow. You know, I, I, I don't... I don't think that I'm desperate enough to go dumpster diving just yet, but I do not tr- I do not doubt that there is probably so much perfectly fine food in in dumpsters. I've told you know what the hell with it. I'll I'll reintroduce Bill when when I come on the other side of the uh, the uh, the intro here. Bill, are you there? I'm here. What do you think about this? Because I, I think you and I both have had friends that have talked about permaculture and things like this. Oh, yeah. Hey, man, I actually, I have to admit, back in my college days, I might have some personal experience with this. Well, don't survive. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it. I did about 20, 20 you know, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, so this is what it is. Basically, there are laws where major grocery stores have to throw away food at a certain point, even if it's perfectly fine. So... And there was also this organization called Food Not Bombs that I, I worked with, where basically we would go around and collect massive carloads of food from restaurants, even like burrito places. They would just throw away perfectly amazing, fresh cooked rice and meat, just like literally pr- amazing quality. So dumpster diving is not an ideal thing to be doing. I've, I only did it like once ever for Food Not Bombs. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's a sad state of affairs, but the amount of global food waste is completely... I think that's a sadder state. Yeah. I really do. I mean, it, uh, of course, when we, when we call it dumpster diving, it just sounds even worse than it all... It's, not an, it's, not a, it's an unsavory thing to, to do. I mean, you, you encounter a lot of things inside of a, uh, inside of a, a garbage bin. But a, along the way, that, it is true. We throw away so much. And I've known people who not only are into the permaculture way of life, but they also have said that going and making sure that they can make use of tons of food that is, as you said, by law, mandated to be thrown out when there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. It's, I, I understand. Yeah, I mean, I think that people who collect food like that, I mean, you know, it's it's not something, it's easy to mock, but they're not the people to mock, necessarily. I think there's there's better things to mock than yeah. people who are scooping. What was the angle of that article? Uh, I, I guess it's a little bit more so, obviously there's going to be people who go, ha ha ha. But they are giving her a chance to show how she's not only saving a lot of money, but that that but putting uh, some highlight, some spotlight on what you said, you know the waste yeah. the waste uh, of consumerism. And here's the thing, though, when you you want to talk about mocking, here's how they did end the um, the article. There's a picture of her with her ass and legs hanging out of a dumpster. Oh, jeez. And then on the right, a side-by-side, there she is after rescuing a cauliflower pizza, which I would have left that. I don't care if it was the last thing on earth to eat. <laughs> I would have left that there. I mean, the fact that we're in a state of the world where, you know, we're encouraging people to go dumpster, that we have to encourage people to go dumpster diving, you know, that's not getting at the root of the problem to actually end food shortages. I mean, that, that that's not what we want to be happening on mass. Everybody dumpster diving. Like we need to go at more of a root level systemically, so that the food. Do, you know, people can opt in to just go get the food and have it not be thrown in the dumpster in the first place. Yeah. Like maybe if it's a certain age, you get. You know, you sign a waiver, and you can get it at you know ninety percent off. Or, or you can just take it for free. But why should you have to go into the dumpster? It makes absolutely no sense. It's, it's a gross. Great point. Yeah. 
It's a great point. Yeah. If, if these, especially if these gigantic chains are being mandated by state law or federal law, whatever it is, even though whatever federal law that mandates something that a chain can do with their food is not legitimate in my eyes. But if a state law says that you have to get rid of this stuff within three days of its expiration date or whatever the hell it is, there, there should be something where you can just, I don't know, you, you think that it's just a matter of people not wanting to give away something for free? I remember mm. going into pizzerias around here minutes before the shop would close. And I would ask a, a friend of mine as I was young, hey, well, are you going to be throwing that away? Yeah, we throw it out every night. Well, why don't you give it to me for free? Can't do that. Can't do that, boss. Like, wh like why? I'm, you, you just told me mm -hmm. it's going into the garbage. Why can't I just be the garbage? <laughs> throw it away into me. That's definitely a part of it. I think that they don't want, you know, lines at the end of every day of people who would be potential customers just lining up for the free stuff. But that's just a dark perspective. I mean, I do remember that story when Abercrombie and Fitch basically would not... They had, like, all these defected... Like, slightly defected clothing. And they just threw it all away because they didn't want homeless people wearing their brand. Ah. Uh, yeah. Ah. Uh, that's, that's, you know... <laughs> I guess that's when you become, like, a, a Ed Hardy. You remember the Ed Hardy clothes? No. You remember, you remember Ed Hardy? They had the hat, the, like the trucker hats, and they had the clothes. They were very uh, flamboyant in their designs. Hmm. And they were hot for about five years or something like that. And it wasn't that they were being picked up at Salvation Armies and stuff like that. It's just that people bought so much, and then they just went out of style. And then all of a sudden, being, being seen in Ed, in Ed Hardy was not nearly as prestigious as it was before. So um, I, I guess... Uh, I guess I can understand, but that that's kind of low. We don't want to see bums wearing our stuff. I would want that. It's free advertising. It's free advertising, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, bum, bums will wear any f clothes. Like, you, you can't... That, that That's like dick, trying to dictate who... For cars, uh, food companies, clothing... I mean, like, trying to have brand control on who buys your product is just a losing battle. Like, yeah. You have to be kidding me. You, you remember, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but, you know, when a, when a Super Bowl rolls around, they have to make a substantial amount of shirts for either winner because they have to roll them out at the Models mm -hmm. and the Dicks the next day. Right. So there, 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 have been, there have been pictures that have come out of places like, you know, third world countries and stuff where afterwards you see little kids running around in, in, uh, in like South Sudan or something like that with the, uh, the throwaway shirts of the would-be Super Bowl winner because they have to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought we saw that was pretty funny. But then again, not a waste of a shirt, you know? Right. Yeah, that is the funny thing in like third world countries. A lot. That's very common to see all of this. Just the most random Western brands. You know, it's not like everybody is wearing grass skirts. You know, they're wearing like old Nike shorts. Yeah. 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 A little t Tommy Hilfiger. Finger. Mm -hmm. That's what we used to say in, in seventh grade. Tommy Hilfiger. I had a couple of those. Mm -hmm. That was when I was in seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade around there. That's when I was living a double life. I My first life was as a, um, a Jinko jean wearing skater. Nice. We had our we had our skateboards. We did our thing. I never got it to, uh, I never, we did anything too crazy on a skateboard, but we had our fun. And then if we, we it was time to go out at night, it was Tommy Hilfiger. And... <laughs> just we had. I had the Tommy Hilfiger cologne. I had the golf shirts. 
It was just that's funny. So you wore Jankos, but then at night you would kind of switch into more like. If I was going to a birthday party, especially like a girl's birthday yeah. party, you you couldn't you couldn't show that's up. That's funny though because I remember kind of the skater crew from my class always wore Jankos. I don't remember them like changing modes. Was that like were you kind of a floater between cr- crews and you were kind of in? I c- I could yeah. float. Yeah, I always yeah. have. But and, and I think it's more so. Then I started realizing, you know, I don't have to wear a costume when I skate. You know, I, I had the, of course, the um, the the Jinko jeans. But there was the urban pipeline stuff, and then you just start getting into once we all of the um, the uh, what's it called the magazine. What was that that magazine? Uh, what was the big skateboarding magazine? Co- the Coast to Coast was the shoes. That was the well. We had Etnies. I wore a lot of Etnies. Um, oh, East Bay was shoes. Never mind. Sorry. There's Etnies. Not I'm not. It's not DC. DC shoes. Yeah, that's. Not, I mean, that's a shoe company. But I forget, I forget the other ones. Um, the, the Airwalk were the first ones we came out. Mm-hmm. Those fell apart so easily. Um, I thought that was. Vans. Nice. I liked that brand. Airwalk is. I, I mean, they're still around. But Jinkos are literally. You know, you think in the future when we're going to be analyzed by future generations, and they're, they're going to look at. The, the fashion Jinkos are just hilarious they make us look like cartoon characters they're so big it's crazy because I was just I was about to say that when we look back at the 90s even though we're already about 30 years removed which is sick when we look back in the 90s and we see things like Jinkos we're going to say oh those were our bell bottoms but mm. At the same time we were wearing Jinkos, bell bottoms were coming back for a little while. Girls in my yeah, the class, little flare. They, they, yeah. they came back. Yep. They came back for a couple of years. The girls in my class were wearing bell bottoms again. All of our parents were like, are you serious? I, I, <laughs> I just threw these away 20 years ago. Oh, man. So it's nuts. It really is. But, um, yeah, well, this is Bill Altman, but we'll get back to up, him guys? in just a second. We're going to start this one off. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Share it far and wide, whether you're watching this live. Live or on demand, and let's uh, let's break viewership records. How does that sound? BRB. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Yes, chill. We're chilling out here with Bill Altman. Bill, 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 we go back a long way. Uh, only this is the first time we've ever been in each other's physical presence. 
Yeah, so, man, I feel, like, I feel like we just know each other's voices so well. I know, yeah. I, and I'll tell you, ladies, this is how it started off for me. Uh, we both knew a... No, I haven't spoken to him a long time. I'm glad to know that he's out there still doing his thing. But a friend of ours, Aaron, this is around the time, around 2010, 11, around that area where Facebook groups, Facebook pages, they were just introduced, and they were be, they were blowing up. And I found you along the way of, you know, we were just networking with each other. All these Facebook Facebook page owners that were really like exposing truth on certain things, alternative news, memes, everything. And they, it was getting so incredible at that point. That's when we met. And, um, and then of course, Facebook changed completely and they started charging Facebook page owners to reach all of the followers of their own followers yeah. voluntarily signed up for you and you say okay you want to talk to them well you got to pay us per person <laughs> so wow well that was the end of that that was the end of that but that's when we first started talking yeah it was crazy um, you know we were driving insane traffic to minds.com back then I'm sure you were doing the same to to your sites it was just like the algorithms, you know, I'm sure there, there were still some restrictions on them, but like the organic reach was pretty significant. I mean, you know, with a page with a million followers, you were getting tens of thousands of likes every post. Yep. Now on the same page, like the, so Aaron runs Exposing the Truth. I was an editor there and, you know, it has over a million followers. Now it's getting like 25 likes. That's it, it used to get like 10,000 plus every post. You could post as much as you want. And it just really exposed how much they actually are suppressing it. And they put so many companies out of business when they changed the algorithm. And, you know, you uh, smartly started your own show, like diversified off of YouTube. You know, we started a whole app outside of Facebook because it's like, I'm not going to rely on this for my sustainability if mm. this place is just going to take away my reach. Well, when did when did Minds actually? This is the maybe I I I lost track of this. I I knew that Minds was a was a brainchild, and it be, of course it's now a a pretty popular social media pr uh, platform outside of the the mainstream really uh, pro censorship sphere there. But Minds.com started off as a an offshoot of of the work that you were doing on on Facebook. I didn't know that. No, not like an, as an offshoot. It's more so that we were using Facebook. Like, we would post viral media blogs and videos on Minds, gotcha. the app, and we would use Facebook to, you know, get new users and drive traffic to all those blogs and, and accounts. And it really worked. I mean, we definitely bootstrapped hundreds of thousands of users that way. And then they just, you know, pulled the rug out from underneath everybody. And th that was like the, you know, initial betrayal and but that was also during the Snowden revelations, so we knew that even though it was helping people with traffic, that it was super sketchy. It's not like we all liked Facebook back then. Yeah, we knew we knew there was a game going on, and um, yeah. But it's kind of like you have to go into the matrix to destroy it. I, I know what you mean because we we didn't like it either, um, especially when they started letting all of our our, our older family members on. When it was a, a site that you needed a college email address to get onto, that was that was when it was a little bit more uh, a little bit more cool. But around that time, you're right, things like that really started going on. We knew that the the platform was was going to die. It was it was almost like uh, you know jabbing 
Maximus in Gladiator with the uh, the poison dart in the ribs before the fight with Commodus. You knew that, yeah, maybe he can take him down, but he's going to die too. And that's just what was going on with um, with Facebook. Y you cannot recover from telling people they have to pay to reach. I can understand you say, hey, you want to boost this for people who don't uh, who who don't know who you are. Fine, buy some advertising, and mm -hmm. that that actually worked in some before we learned about the click farms, of course. <laughs> then we learned about the click farms in Saudi Arabia and Minnesota that you weren't actually really. It was a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine who worked for a major marketing company. Uh, major mark sports marketing. He doesn't work there anymore. But he got. He told me probably around 2012, 13. Frank, don't buy any Facebook ads. He goes. I I I know exactly where all that money goes to. And we are, we are talking about little warehouses like that movie, um, like that movie Boiler Room. Little warehouses, pop up places where there's just telephones and computers and people clicking and. I said, holy shit, for real? Because he said 70% of everybody's dollar is wasted. Hmm. So, wow. Yeah, so many bots, so much fraud. Same with, like, the, the early days of Google. And, you know, I do think that some of the big... Look, bots are not an easy... Are, are, wait, are you sort of implying that Facebook was knowingly doing that or that there were groups... Who were like outside of Facebook? Who were who were eating up all of the uh, engagement? He, he he seemed to imply that it's part and parcel of the operation. Mm. But whether or not whether or not the the company itself was involved, or you just had people going out there. I mean, it's helping them, right? So know. they turn a blind eye. Turn the blind. I mean, yeah. they're, they're profiting, profiting, and people are not being told that they're 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 being defrauded. So that's just. That's the whole point there. That's when I really started thinking, wow. I mean, big media at that point, we thought we could trust. Because Mark Zuckerberg, when we were all in college, we saw this semi-college-age face, and we thought, oh, he's based like us. <laughs> you know? It, and then, then you start learning about InQtel and everything else, and mm -hmm. shit really goes south. But as far as minds go, when did you actually launch? I forget when the, the actual I mean, the was. app, you know, we had a, a web app up for a few years when we were doing kind of just experimental viral media but we didn't launch our mobile app until 2015 so 2015 is kind of when things really kicked into gear mm. and yeah i mean look bot like elon is going after bots on twitter there's no way that it's less than five percent as they're claiming it is way above that they did just give him access to the fire hose so that he can use his AI to to analyze the their, their data but I mean it's it, it's a much higher percentage and you know not to defend Twitter or Facebook or anybody but you know bots are there there is a such thing as a useful bot not all not all bots are are evil and it's also extremely hard to detect certain types of bots obviously like bot farms that are mass producing inauthentic engagement and completely manipulating the system are bad bots but like you know there's chat bots there there's all kinds of you know there's weather bots mm. there's all different kinds of bots that you can program to just do certain that that's what, the, what all the definition of a bot is so it's 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 just so hard because a, a lot of times it's partially human, partially bot, 
you know, the account will, you know, there will be a human that is doing certain things on the account, but also other stuff is done programmatically. So, so um, but I mean, this exists just everywhere. Everybody's just trying to manufacture likes and to, to game the system. Well, what I've been what I've been learning from some other friends of mine who are are, are very involved in cybersecurity and IT, is that, I mean, uh, it, it's also very easy for everybody just to blame Twitter for making bots, and uh, but it's also just there's organizations, there are pe individual people who can hijack mass amounts of of uh, uh, gigantic not networks of of connected machines and create blank accounts. And maybe, you know, one person can create a thousand. I know a friend of mine said he was getting spammed by about a thousand different YouTube accounts, all that were created and managed by one person who mm -hmm. just knows what they're doing. Yep. So if one person can, can manage, can swing that kind of power just to harass a fellow YouTuber, then you think about what gigantic organizations can do while just using Twitter as, not to say that the corporate culture at Twitter is it by any means healthy. And we've seen plenty of them get exposed by Project Veritas, but there are just other, other uh, facets of this conversation that could almost, even if Twitter was honest, could be like beating back the tide. You know, how do you do it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are very sophisticated botnets and bot farms that are just so sophisticated that it's very hard to tell and... Yeah, I mean, put if you put millions of dollars behind, uh, uh, you know, political smear campaign or, um, you know, some sort of social justice mob, like that can all be manufactured very programmatically. So mm. it's um, it's definitely scary, but I, I I do actually think that over time it is going to be easier to detect with AI and ML. You know, like. Obviously, AI and ML can be used for very dark purposes, but it can also be used to to figure out that stuff. And, you know, as long as it's open source and transparent, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, put the AI at war with each other. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, there will be ethical AI that battles the manipulative AI. Right. That's, an, that's interesting. I, I'm always looking for AI white pill thoughts. Uh, I'm always looking for white pill threads on AI bill because you know all, all we think about is but hey there's, there's, there's got to be something on our side when it comes to these these future cyberspace battles and who the hell knows um, who really knows but so then on, on the whole how are you looking at this Twitter thing right now because obviously mine's provides for its users, which everybody should know, Minds.com. You should go and check it out. It is an alternative social media platform that provides so much more than what Twitter does um, for media sharing and, and uh, microblogging and all that stuff. So they're not really the same. But if Twitter in any way, shape, or form was righted or rightly exposed for being one way or another, how are you seeing this thing play out? Mm. Yeah, I don't think of it as a zero-sum game with regards to, you know, social networks adopting free speech and transparency and privacy. Like, I want Elon to, to win. I want him to achieve what he's talking You know, he's talking about encrypted messages. I mean, literally, right now, Twitter mods can just go in and read everybody's messages. Hmm. I mean, that's insane. 
Yes, yeah, uh, so don't have affairs in DMs, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Don't think that your affairs are going to be kept secret. Um, and obviously all of the shadow banning and algorithms, no one knows what's going on. So he's talking about open sourcing those. He's talking about bringing in much more like First Amendment based content policy. Like this is a huge win for the world. It's like a total validation of our model. Like all of those things we've already been doing for a long time. And but the future of social media is not like all of these silos where it's like web two type infrastructure where you know you're just on these massive data centers and there's no kind of core open source protocol like i think much more so what we're going to start seeing is that you own your data you own your crypto you own your content you own your subscribe you don't own your subscribers but you own the relationship right with your subscribers and you can just bounce from network to network and bring all your stuff with you that's so cool. that's what that that's where we need to get and that's what like the decentralized web is really pushing f towards with in, in crypto keys are sort of at the core of that and there's all different kinds of relay protocols and decentralized like there are blockchains there are torrent style systems that are pair so your identity is kind of correlated with your key pair i know like a lot of this might not make sense to a lot of people because there's a little bit of a learning curve into understanding like what's a pu public key what's a private key i've okay i've got my crypto wallet and i've got this address for you know bitcoin and ethereum what that address is is your public key and then your private key is basically your password to that wallet. You are the only one who can get into that wallet. So in, in the whole crypto world, we're starting to see, particularly in the Ethereum space, like you can actually log into a website with your crypto wallet as a browser extension. You're not, you, it's not like an email, username and password situation. Your identity is stored on your machine and you just use that to log in everywhere. So that's more so where we're heading. You've got NFTs that are correlated to you. You've got different credentials that are correlated to you that you've earned different places. You've got all your content. So that if you get banned, it just you still got everything. See, that, see Bill, that is, first of all, that just harkens back to something I was talking about with my guest last night, uh, Jay Dyer. And we were we were talking about a, a few different topics, but then crypto came along because I I know that he's in uh, he's uh, very very involved in in crypto and and alternative currency because you know anybody that's looking at how the world is going should know that the American dollar's days are numbered. But I I told him at the end is that here's the thing what you just described right there I wish that was some of the utility I wish people understood more because I certainly don't. I wish people understood cryptocurrency, these Ethereum, the blockchain, as uh, from a utility standpoint. I, I wish that it is so because right now m most people's understanding of the whole thing is just speculative, yeah. speculative casino, casino play. You know, I'm going to buy it at so and so. Hey, I'm going to buy this shit coin at you know point, you know, a fraction of a penny, and hopefully we can get it up to a dollar one day, and I can make a, an, an easy fifty thousand dollars. That's all. Most people just look at it speculatively. Yeah, that's I'm, a disaster. I have no clue. What you just said right there is is alien to me, but I can see why that in itself is more valuable of a system outside of this whole being able to go and buy something with it. Yeah, that I th I think that. It's actually good that we're seeing this 
down downturn and basically the market is correcting right now i mean the whole economy is imploding <laughs> so it's not just crypto but what's happening is that you know there was an way um there, there's a period of just mass speculation people playing casino games with you know dogs and apes and it just isn't real i mean you know the massive amounts of money got injected into the economy obviously people are struggling and they're trying to you know find a quick 10x so it's understandable sort of the human urge to want to make that happen but you know crypto is about so much more than money i mean like the original crypto is cryptography so cryptography is what you know is the basis of what cryptocurrency is based on and cryptography is just this idea of key pairs and so like if you have a encrypted email basically you still have a key pair like that's how encrypted messenger messengers work and encrypted email works you have a public key which is where people send messages and you have a private key and you're the only one who's able to access your messages so what cryptocurrency did is they took key pairs and they applied it to these wallets and you know then they had a blockchain and you got all these miners all over the world running it and there's this all kinds of crazy consensus activity and it but but what blo blockchains are are databases that's what it is so it's just an slow and expensive and you know resilient place to store transactional data and you can do different things on them you can store um references to media which is what nfts are doing mm. And then, you know, or you can have fungible tokens or you can, you know, th th there's all different kinds of applications. So I think tons of people have been wrecked. I think that they're probably disillusioned. A lot of people just a lot of lost a ton of money over speculating, thinking that, you know, some random coin is going to is going to save their life. And now they're probably thinking, oh, my God, I hate cryptocurrency Yeah, because they got tricked. <laughs> And, and and people like me who are on the fence are just like, thank God I never even fucking jumped into it seriously. Right. And and meanwhile, I'm listening to you, uh, and and I'm I'm realizing that there is so much more, especially from a professional standpoint, the kind of things that we do. When you were talking about before being able to take your social media footprint and never being banned from that, I can't tell you, Bill, what I would do to be able to possess. The 92.4 thousand voluntary subscribers emails to my YouTube. Right. Because I haven't even been banned from YouTube yet. I'm sure it'll happen one day from, through some way. Mm -hmm. It'll probably happen as soon as I go on Tim, Tim Pool's show and somebody takes a look at me for the first time and God knows how long. <laughs> But I, I would I, right now. I would love to send an email all to them to to let them know. Hey, if you haven't seen me in a while, this is where you can come off site because. Yep. It is certain. To, what do you think is the the reason why a? I mean, we were talking about Facebook before. If you had a million million followers on your Facebook page, and of course it's a bad business move, but they tell you around 2011 or so. All right, now you have to pay to reach all the people who voluntarily subscribe to you. YouTube is not asking you that. YouTube is just not letting you get to your full subscriber subscriber base. Why is that? They think that they know better what people want to consume than those people. Mm. You know, they they think that they're better at deciding what you want than you. And they think that they're, you know, basically, 
your nanny. They they just and I you know so we we partnered with this this really cool organization called Futo, which is a tech freedom group down down in Austin. And Aaron was actually just on on Tim's show. Basically, because you know, he, so he's a billionaire who knows a lot of big people in tech. Was like huge in Silicon Valley, and um, you know, with like Bill Gates and like these people's mentality, it's so much like Aaron puts it in this re- in this interesting way where the tech oligarchs think that the users are their pets, just to just to mold and do what they feel is best. Mm-hmm. That's literally the mentality. They think that they have the right and the knowledge to 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 guide where people go, and you know that's what we're seeing with all of the misinformation, disinformation complex, with all the censorship that's happening. You know, they literally think people are too stupid to make their own minds up. Yeah, and and, and well, we've heard, and we've like I said before, we've heard that from through Project Veritas with Twitter sitting down. I mean, it's 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 there's no. There's no ways of misinterpreting what they're saying. It is a control grab. It right. is ideologically driven. So then let me ask you this. Moderation on minds. Yep. What's your approach to content moderation on minds? Because I, I, I tell you, some pe- people are so jaded when it comes to censorship now that it has actually created a growing, maybe permanent underclass of just edgelords on the Internet that love showing up and testing the boundaries of every new social media uh, uh, platform and just saying whatever they can and if they get banned they say oh look censorship's here too exactly so yeah. wh- what do I'm, you do well first of all big tech is engineering edgelords because when people get banned from twitter for some you know kind of non-issue they then are reinforced with the idea that okay there's a huge conspiracy at twitter hmm. so now I'm gonna go into this other forum and you know kind of drift further into darkness and you know it keeps reinforcing itself we actually just released this whole paper that we wrote with multiple phds and um over the last year it's called the censorship effect you can find it um yeah if you just search censorship effect on minds you'll find it and we've brought together all of this peer-reviewed evidence that literally proves censorship causes radicalization like th- there's a whole body of researchers who who look into this really closely. We have uh, Dr. Lane and um, Dr. Schultz who who really helped us out. And I mean, it's it's very obvious. Like if you isolate somebody into a community of only a few edge lords who think exactly the same way, what do you think is going to happen to that person? Yeah, they're just going it- to isolation creates depression. A lot of these school shooters. They're totally isolated. They have no friends. They have no communication with outside ideology. You know, you need to be in a network with tons of people in order to be exposed to better ideas. Like if, so in terms of how we handle it, we are, I mean, we're First Amendment based. So every, as long as it's legal, we want to allow it because that just, creates the best chance at those people being exposed to better ideas yeah. which will cause them to change their minds potentially so you do have to have a tolerance for really horrible ideas if you want those people to have a chance at changing like you can look at super nasty racist or you know hate speech type content and 
you can choose to get offended by it or you can choose to say okay well this person's clearly like <laughs> mentally ill yeah <laughs> or you know not and i know that look hate speech is totally like not even defined no one knows what it means i'm talking about like truly like racist like hardcore stuff um those people like daryl davis who we who we work with who's very much on the left but he befriends kkk members uh, this, guy's, you know this guy he has a great story i would love to yeah. have him on this show one day yeah yeah i could i could intro you isn't he gonna be at your he's gonna be there yeah he's gonna be at the yeah, festival so is james o'keefe so is uh, i'll just bust out a couple names tulsi gabbard james o'keefe tim pool um Ben Burgess at Jacobin, Seth Dillon, Babylon B, uh, Zuby, Cornell West, Daryl. Like it's just a, it's such a great crew. That's going to be this this Saturday at the Beacon Theater. This Saturday at the Beacon Theater, you can uh, find uh, info at festival.minds.com. It's live streaming. It's you know, there's no restrictions at the Beacon. Some people are still scared of New York City, um, but. Yeah, man. So we're trying to have these. We're also doing stand-up comedy with like Ryan Long. Have you seen his stuff? I love. Oh him. my god, I love him, dude. He, it he, is. He never just lets so down. savage. Yeah. He never lets. He never lets anybody watching him down. It's. It, he's another one I'd love to have. These are a lot of New York-based uh, people too. That I just want to start roping you all over. I mean, you used to. You used to be in Brooklyn with. Didn't yep. you? Yeah, we had we had a space in uh, in Bushwick for a I, little bit. I remember that. That I remember you were in Brooklyn, but still we're not we're not the here Dude, you are. Dude, I'll, I'll I'll rope together a few people. Have a party over here sometime. Yeah, we got to yeah, bring yeah. them all up. Yeah. We should do this. Yeah, Zuby, he's another one. That's gonna be so great. So so as far as I know, we we kind of go off topic here with the moderation with mine. Oh yeah, let me just quickly close that, that loop. So. We have a jury system for appeals, which is a really important thing, and we're going to be bringing the jury system much more so into a lot of decisions that get made on the site. Right now, if someone gets banned or gets marked NSFW or something and they disagree with us, they can actually appeal it, and then a uh, prompt goes to 12 random active users to actually potentially overturn us. So we, we Ran, random users with yeah. no with no like not in the hierarchy of the business. No, not it, in the business. And random users, users can override you guys. They can override us. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and so that's been highly successful so far. We've res we haven't been able to bring it into the the initial decision yet, but we absolutely want to. And then you know, in terms of other moderation, like we do a lot. Like if it's legal, it can be there, but we do have NSFW filters. So, for instance, like ex more explicit content, violent content, you know, sexual stuff, like that goes behind a blur that you have to opt into if you want to see it. And like that's just a necessary thing um, because you can't. Otherwise, that stuff would. I mean, and even with that system, we still have <laughs> leaks where you know you'll see some edgy stuff sometimes just based on the fact that it's it's not easy to fully control it when you have all of that content mm. but um you know we're doing our best and we want to empower the community to help us tag content and moderate it and but the only risk there is that you don't want mobs to be able to rule the site so that's where it more so gets into you know certain types of reputation where people can sort of earn the ability to you know, show that they're, they're going to be making decisions and voting based on our policy, not based on their opinion. So, you know, you don't vote to have something taken off the site just because it offends you. You vote in line with the policy. Yeah. 
And so, you know, finding those people and kind of letting people earn. And, you know, we also pay people in crypto and we have cash rev share for people who are participating. You know, it's just crazy. Facebook spends billions. All these companies spend billions on on censorship. Like they literally have just had people sitting there clicking all day, banning people. Yeah. And they don't and they don't provide. And we, we learn about all the people that, that spend time in those those Facebook moderation basements. Oh yeah, like they, like they're they're going nuts. They're going nuts again. PTSD. They're committing suicide. But the other crazy thing is, Bill, that in numerous reports on that specific that that specific department and their activities at Facebook, we have read that in many cases they have started to believe the conspiracy theories they were told to get rid of. So they started questioning 9/11. They started, yeah. you know. Well, also I think that I think a lot of the depression. You know, some probably comes from seeing legitimately, like, disturbing stuff. Yeah, the violence. How, like, there's definitely, vi- like, h- horrific violence. But some, I think, probably also comes from being guilty about taking down content that shouldn't be taken down. And feeling like, like, what is your mission? Like, say you worked, you're a mod at Facebook. You're going around, you know, someone says, you know, a man is not a woman. And, and, and you ban them. Like, that probably gets to some people. And, you know, a thought experiment I've played around with, and this is actually what we want to do, is hire moderators not to go around banning people, but, you know, someone... People people want community. You know, so if you, if you, if you hired billions of dollars worth of, like, counselors and, you know, people like Daryl who are just there to talk... Like, hey, I'll hit, you're you're in the KKK. I want to talk to you. Let's let's talk. You can you can share your opinion with me. It's okay. You can have that opinion, and Dar- like you have people like Daryl who is black who wants to hear why they think like that, and that's literally what changes their minds. And and now he's ended up with like an entire closet full of robes <laughs> and hoods yeah. that they have given up. They've surrendered. Right. He's changed so many lives through inter. You know, I back. I I've told this on this on the show before um, when we were on conversations like this. As far as what censorship does in the '90s when we were growing up, if we were to turn on the television at night and we saw even a half a dozen, because you never get more than that, a half a dozen guys in robes. KKK protesting in front or demonstrating in front of a of a, a library somewhere in the deep south that's something that used to be you know like ex- like almost exotic for us like it, oh that's that's what a KKK guy looks like mm-hmm. you know that's, that's something that we just we just never see right but but at the same time them uh Howard Stern bringing uh bringing the KKK grand Kleagles dragon whatever the hell their rankings are bringing them cyclops on. yeah cyclops <laughs> grand cyclops you, you bring them in and you, you start seeing just the the limitation in the arguments you start mm. seeing how limited everything is and how ridiculous it is and 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 that oh he i never knew howard had a kkk person oh always oh, oh who, interesting who the hell was it oh man i'm gonna i i brought his name up so many times before but um I, i'll remember it in a second but you know uh, looking at that, that used to be something where, well, we're exposed to it. It definitely didn't. It definitely didn't make them sympathetic, but it almost made them look goofy, because exactly. there was there was so much more. Now you have all of these 
if uh, if somebody throws on a hood and goes protests in front of a uh, a library somewhere now you'll get a thousand ravenous drooling at the mouth leftists showing up acting so much worse than the kkk guy did that it actually makes them look civil i mean we have lost the balance is completely thrown off and because people have been i think um i don't know they've been coddled in so many ways and not exposed to how varied somebody how how varied the people can live their lives it, it just becomes almost like an obscenity and i mean that that is exactly the point like p- shining a light on kkk members makes them look so stupid because they have shine debating stupid people is by far the best way to expose them yeah and you know you can still you can be nice it's okay to be nice to stupid people or hateful people actually being a, an ass to hateful people doesn't like first of all it makes them worse because they're just going to get defensive like it's oh there's just this whole idea that like you have to like strike down people with bad ideas to prove that you don't agree with them right it's like it's obvious you don't agree with them. It's I don't know. I the the state that we're in, you know, having debates about issues is literally considered extremism. And I don't think that it's really even debates. Debates and dialectic. Uh, debates are are they can be useful and you know it's pretty much a sport. Um, for some people, and it, and it it scored like a sport. But as far as dialectic goes, yeah. that's really what we're we're lacking. We're lacking that dialectic, uh, that that back and forth, the the uh, the Socratic uh, exchange between people, questions, questions upon answers, answers upon questions, and uh, and that exchange. And if that were to happen. You don't even need a, a debate. I think debates are a little bit more confrontational. Mm. Um, the dialectic is what's been lost. And to your point, to your point, the current regime, and I say that, I say that uh, you call it cabal, you can call it the deep state, whatever it is, the establishment. Uh, if there is an open dialogue in this country, then they're going to have a really, really hard time. Because what's being pushed as official policy from government um, from NGOs, from civil rights organizations, uh, it, it is absolutely flies in the face of logic and decency, especially when we're talking about pushing communism and and, and everything else. It, you can't you you can't have open open dialogue in a situation like that. It would it would fall apart. So it this is actually the censorship is the stucco that is holding together a um, a reality that deserves to fall. Mm. Yeah, I want to I want to read this exchange I had last night. So, oh, by the way, Daniel Carver was the KKK guy. Oh, Daniel on, Carver. Okay, I'll definitely. I'll definitely that was probably a while ago. Oh, it was a long time. Yeah, long, when he was actually you know entertaining. Yeah, when he was into free speech. Yeah, <laughs> that's a sad sad drop off um, that's happened with him. But that so anyway, so Cornell West is actually coming to the event as well. Are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. So he's like you know he's very far left philosophy professor. Um, you know, black intellectual, super smart guy. So he's debating Coleman Hughes at the event, discussing. Hope, hopefully, it's discussion and not debate. But um, anyway, people have been attacking Cornell for coming. Like all of these 
people on Twitter, like, I would imagine far left. I don't like throwing around, you know, the terms far right and far left just because I, it's so annoying to me that everyone just calls each other far right and far left. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this guy who's like a writer for The Guardian and, you know, a, a number of publications like that, he goes, how disappointing to see Cornell West, an intellectual I once admired, making common cause with a group of the most toxic reactionaries from the far right and left. So he acknowledged that we had people from the right and left coming to the event. He he calls them both toxic reactionaries. I had said, I had um, responded to it saying, this is the exact type of uh, ideological bullying that's tearing apart the country. And speaking with people does not equate to common cause this is what's reactionary, and I invited him to come speak. He then deleted the tweet and messaged privately that he takes it back. But it's just like this is the meme going around that if you talk to somebody who you know you even you hate or you disagree with, that somehow you're creating common cause with them. It's ridiculous. Like you have to be able to talk, and pe- like these people think that they have moral high ground for shutting down conversation. Yeah. Like it is like total delusion and it has to stop. And there's no evidence behind this philosophy. It's literally, it is fascism. I mean, if there's any definition of fascism, it's probably that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you with the Cornell West situation, I mean, I've, he's, he's made me, he's made my stomach churn uh, quite a few times over, over, over the years. But but to see this kind of a a booking to see that stuff go on, I always I always figure. Uh, first of all, I give them credit for showing up. Oh, exactly. Because yeah. they're they're always going to be a minority in in these kinds of events. Uh, that's why I always give credit, no matter how much he 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 once again has turned my stomach. I always give credit to Van Jones for showing up to things like this. Mm-hmm. Now I was. Um, I had when you talk about common ground or commonality in any way, what you're going to get here is that the only common ground there is is free speech. That's it. If you are not able to put these ideas out there, then this illusion of democracy that everybody always talks about, democratic societies in whatever form it comes in, is gone because there's no free speech. There is no way to actually uh, sharpen your knives against each other and get your arguments down and even realize that some of the arguments that you had are indefensible. You know That, that stuff right there, especially when, if it's done in, in a really um, in a very respectful way can change lives and if it doesn't change the stance of the person in the debate or the dialectic it's definitely going to change the lives of people who are quietly in the audience absolutely people who are on the fence and seeing all this shit going on i had a um a guest on a few times in the past his name is young pharaoh he was actually kicked out of he was actually kicked out of uh what's that big con that that mainstream conservative fest down in florida what's it called Something I remember. Con, Politicon? Pol- no, no. Con- what the fuck is it? Uh, anyway, he was kicked out because they looked into his his background, and he is a, a guy who believes that you know pretty much black people are are genetically superior to everybody, and mm-hmm. they you know they are the true Egyptians and right, Hebrew. right, right, and, and 
And uh, a couple people would get in touch with me and say, Frank, you know, you know, this guy doesn't particularly like white people. Why do you have him on the show? I said, I don't get it. Listen, if he if he doesn't like me because of my skin, that's his problem. I want to talk. He has some ideas about about he sees the same problems we have. He's keeping his family, his community in, in mind, and he sees that the real solution is not doubling down on central government and one size fits all, which never fits well. Mm-hmm. He's talking about independence. He's talking about opening up uh, dialectic. He's talking about free speech, and he's talking about being able to mind your own business in your own communities and just vouch and just act on your own behalf. And then from there, whatever. I think that that is such a, a, an important place, and it's actually the last hope that we have for avoiding really, really messy societal downturns that could really be violent and angry and horrible. Yeah, it's starvation. We need to start talking about this stuff. I don't care if people don't like me because of my skin. That's Listen, it's their problem. But we got to talk about things that can at least get us independent enough to diagnose the problem well. Yeah, man. Talking is not a character endorsement. To to have such a, a high threshold for you know what is acceptable is just it's totally irrational i mean you know i i agree there's a lot that you know cornell has said that that i don't agree with as well but like you know to his credit i saw one interview even during you know gavin mcginnis um during kind of the height of his initial canceling cornell did gavin's show and it was this kind of cool like speakeasy like prohibition era set where Gavin was the bartender and Cornell was sitting at the bar I highly recommend watching the interview and it's just like you know that that takes balls man and and, and it, it really shouldn't it, it doesn't in reality it's not that hard to go talk to someone like the fact that we have to say oh be brave and talk to someone it's like that sort of shows how much we've degraded <laughs> the fact that that's impressive it's it's really not but you know there aren't that many people on the left who will really engage hard like we reached out to so many for this event i actually got some surprising interest which gave me hope from some people that you can't, you can't say who they are i can say who who can i say um uh, one one that i can say is Sean King wow was very interested but he couldn't make it he was in he's he's out west or something but like that would be amazing you know like i totally don't agree like and the thing is that he will like troll us on social media a lot but the fact that when i reached out to him he was like yeah man like I, that was totally unexpected and you know heartening so you know you can totally not be on the same same page with someone but you know some people do want to talk yeah, no, I bet that, that that's that's incredible. I'm surprised that you didn't uh, get any interest from Gavin McGinn. Did you reach out to Gavin McGinnis? I did because he's a local, I think. I if if he's listening, he should come. Um, but no, I didn't. I reached you know maybe for the next one. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I just I just didn't know. Um, that would definitely be interesting because he I think he is a New Yorker. Um, at least now he's I been kind of under the radar this year. I haven't seen. It's probably the algorithm suppressing. I don't uh, know where he where he's live. Somehow, after he got banned from a lot of stuff for for a while, I was still seeing him pop up on YouTube and stuff all the time. He would have all these like different channels, and I feel like Sam Hyde does it in a very. Do you know Sam Hyde? Yeah. Um, well, he, I, I know of him. I don't know. He him. actually, I went to high school with him in in Wilton, Connecticut. Wow. And we've stayed in touch over the years. 
God, man, he's so funny. Have, have you seen his TED Talk, uh, his fake TED Talk? No. Oh, Jesus. He, he um, trolled a TED Talk, and like, it was like a TEDx. He signed up, pretend to be this, like, you know, warrior, kind of saving African kids, like teaching them to code. And like made a fake submission to speak. <laughs> you have to watch it. Just search Sam Hyde Ted. He's wearing like armor, and it is total insanity. Like you got you got to check it out. It man, if you, it, that's a that's a guy. You got you still keep in touch? Yeah, we keep in touch. Yeah. If you can come down here with him one night, that'll oh be yeah, yeah, that'll yeah, be. Yeah. A, I will. will it will be a Saturday night. I'll get the hookahs going. We'll have a good time. Sam Hyde. Oh wow, he's like an internet legend. He is, yeah, man, he gets blamed for every every shooting. <laughs> That's got to be weird, man. But you know, yeah, he's he's a dark comic. Get over it. Like, pe- like honestly, the the better and more abundant the dark comedy is in a society, the healthier the society is. Because if that comedy wasn't allowed to exist, first of all, it would be like a totalitarian place. Yeah. So. If it exists, it's good. And people just have this perception that making dark jokes means that, and you know, I understand like people do take it very far and there are some people who mean it and there's others who don't. And you know, that line gets very blurry to, you know, oh, what did they actually intend? Did they actually mean it? Were they playing a character? Like obviously there's all sorts of messy stuff. You know, Sam is a totally wild guy. I absolutely, you know, don't agree on everything with him. But, like, the fact that I even have to say that is stupid. It's just, like, let the guy do his thing. And who does anybody ever agree 100% with? Yeah. You know, it's... I I find myself... I hate it. I I hate that I find myself giving those disclaimers as well, too. Um, But I think it's just... I think it's just part of this really... um, Shitty walking on eggshells, self-preservation kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You always want to put proper context of thing before you go into something. But I, I, I literally don't care. I mean, Sam, Sam is my friend, and you know, we, I mean, we went to middle school together as well. Like, not, not just like we've known each other since we were kids. And he, you know, comics are just what we have to protect because comedy is literally the lifeblood of society. If we, I don't know, man. I just feel like more people need to get into dark comedy. It's like a, it's a, it's a social processing mechanism. Well, the first thing to do is to to dust off all of your old George Carlin. Start with there because it gets dark, especially as he gets older. Mm -hmm. You know, when he when when you start getting to, uh, you know, it's bad for you and life is worth losing. You can tell he's contemplating the end of his own life, and it's just getting dark. Um, So that that's but you're right. 100% 100% you're right about that. And as far as the comedy that's going to be represented at uh, the Minds, the, the Festival of Ideas mm-hmm. on on Friday. Saturday. Saturday, sorry, Saturday, the 25th. Um, is that going to be separate? Like, are you going In to In between have... each panel, we're doing stand-up. Okay. So we're doing, so Chrissy Mayer's hosting. Um, she's opening. Then we're doing a panel. And then we've got Tyler Fisher as well. Do you know him? Uh, no. He, oh, my God. He's hilarious. Dude, his Jordan Peterson impression is so spot on. It is scary. Then we've got Ryan Long and we've got Jamie Kilstein. 
So it's going to be hilarious, man. I can't wait. And, and just like the juxtaposition of these intense conversations with comics who, you know, are just so funny but also very familiar with the culture war stuff. And so, like, I just feel like they're going to be able to roast a little bit, and it's gonna it's gonna be really funny. I the the sad thing for me is that I'm not going to be able to stay f- much farther than s- seven thirty. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be there for the meet and greet, and right, that's I'll, basically when the show starts. But the meet and greet is going to be really fun. We're doing so, and you can probably pop on Destiny. We're doing a pre-show stream. Do you know Destiny? No. Uh, Stephen Bonnell. He has he he's like a really big debater. He's he's on the left, but very pro free speech. He's a gamer. Um, anyway, he uh, so he's gonna be. St- we're doing a podcast that's streaming to his channel. He's got a big channel, like five hundred thousand subs, and just like a lot of the speakers are gonna be casually around a table, and then there's gonna be drinks. So it's just like this pre-show hangout where there's gonna be a lot of cool people shooting the shit. And that's going to be live streaming. So, mm. yeah, check out uh, Destiny's channel around. That'll be happening at, like, 5 p.m. on Saturday. Also, anyone who can't make it, um, you know, there's... So, we're we're live streaming the final panel with uh, O'Keefe, Poole, Burgess, and Tulsi on the Veritas YouTube. Oh, so that's going to be a panel. Tim Poole's going to be part of a tam- uh, panel? A panel, yeah. Okay, yeah. so Tulsi's not going to do like a, a, a speech of her own? No, okay. everything's panel. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, I'm moderating that one, and the first 15 minutes are going to be streaming on the Veritas YouTube channel, and then it pushes to the page stream, which we certainly appreciate. We're also giving out free tickets, I should mention, to people who can't afford it. So if you, if you go to festival.minds.com, you know, we're definitely uh, getting hammered a little bit on, on this event. If you can pay, that's great. But we're, you know, at this point, we just want to have a great party. Okay, you got it. <laughs> like, we got a, it, a ton of people are coming. Yeah. It's going to be huge. But, the, dude, MSG is so expensive. It's like, no. It's, wow. <laughs> it's, I, I'm, you know, yeah. I love the Beacon, and it's, like, such a, a dream to throw a show there. But, like, these big venues have so much bureaucracy oh, and yeah. the unions and the it's like if we had done it at like more of a local theater it would have been way more way more capital efficient but it's all good it's it's going to be a great party is msg still owned by cablevision i don't know i don't know um, I, I mean they used to they're a public lot. company so i think maybe maybe partially but yeah the MS, msg owns Madison square garden beacon chicago theater well when you do this forum. again when you do this again next year yeah if you're already at the beacon theater use that stage get some musical acts my band will play yeah, man. Yeah, the thing is with music is that mixing. Well, it's just a lot of extra production infrastructure. It could be a, a second, a second stage somewhere. We'll be in a. We could be putting us in a broom closet or something like Let's that. Let's do it, man. I would. I, I would like to do a whole event <laughs> o- only music. Let's like get the politics out <laughs> and just do music. Hey, well, maybe we can find an open air venue. What's your one band? Day. What's your band's name? Set the charge. Set the charge. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Oh, yeah, I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, afterwards. we got a jam sometime too. What do you yeah. play? I play bass. And oh, this, yeah. dude, let's. Well, I'll, I'll, when we get out of here, I'll show you. I'll, we'll go deeper into the music, so, so you'll see where we can do nice. live uh, streams here. Music. Oh, you do live? You've done live jams? Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that entire room is is customized for our band practice and recording. But me and Anthony and Mike are actually going to retool it so that when we have friends like you and anybody else that comes mm-hmm. in that plays a guitar or or anything keyboard, we can plug in and just play straight up like that. And it doesn't have to be anything custom settings. Nice. So that's coming back. We have to do some live music 
streams here. So what are so what are the pieces of your band? You've got drums, guitar. Me on drums. Yep. I've got Anthony on vocals, but mm -hmm. he sometimes pick up picks up the uh, guitar and plays rhythm. Mm -hmm. uh, lead guitars, my buddy Tom and my buddy Derek is our bassist. Nice. And um, but yeah, I, I think you'll like the sound. But we we we've been. That would be really awesome to, to do some stuff like that in the future. Hey, you know what? Let's take a really quick break. It's 808, 808-DRUM. 808, we come back. We'll get to your Super Chats, and then we have a couple other fun things to do with uh, with uh, Bill here that I think it's going to be a really nice second hour. First hour flew by, man. you got to come by more often just chill. Dude, I'm just 20 minutes from my house. Yeah. So, yeah, let's no, do it. we got to do it. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gents. Welcome to Intermission. We'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I yeah. agree. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Having a great time here tonight. I knew it was going to be a good one. And uh, even though I wrote myself a whole bunch of notes, I didn't need any of it. I didn't need any of it. Me and Bill Ottman here of Minds.com are having a great time. Let's get into the Super Chats first and see what people are saying. Over on QuiteFranklySuperChat.com, we have... MLG. This was four hours ago, so this is before the show started. You can do that, ladies and gentlemen. Remember that. So thrilled to hear you are going on TimCast. I hope that you can uh, educate him on the Constitution as he believes the feds trump the states in all situations and he misinforms his listeners every day. Introduce him to Chris Ann Hall. Love the show so much. Well, I'm definitely, uh, you know me. If I ever sat in a room with anybody having a conversation about, um, supremacy in a federalist system i'm not going to let 
I'm not going to let an error go unacknowledged. So um, that's the whole point of an open forum. Yes, the uh, the federal government usually has has only has supremacy in 98% of the things it claims supremacy on because we made a mistake and we continued the bad mistake as a tradition. It's not part of our constitution. Nothing. Uh, not. I mean, if for all the things that the United States government does claims the responsibility for themselves as a central authority. Everything that they take up from retirement to health care to everything else, the amendments that would have had to be proposed and enacted to make this all legal, we'd be on Amendment 98 right now instead of 20-something. What is it, like 27 amendments, including the first 10? We'd be at, like, Amendment 89,000. It's all, it's all just bad habits perpetuated and turned into, I guess, deep state tradition, establishment tradition. That's all. Just a big grift. And I would not let any, anybody get away with that. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, let me see here. What else do we have? On Rumble, Selling the Farm says, This show is my social media. Thank you, Frank, and your Rumblers. Now, on Foxhole... Donkey Punch says, love you, Frankie. Thank you, Donkey Punch. Be be easy out there. Sean C, uh, C. Blanche. Thank you, C. Blanche. Jason Blocker says, hey, the audio crackling sound is gone. Did you fix something? Sounds great. No. In fact, I haven't done anything. Uh, maybe we did some, some air dusting when I redid this entire, this entire broadcast room a couple of weekends ago. Jason Blocker says, Bill is a good person. I can tell these things. He's genuinely a good guy. I agree. Bill, what do you think about that? Nah. No? No? It's, it's just all a facade? <laughs> Fuck so, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, brother. Jason Blocker. You made a new friend over here. And, and Jason, go to... Uh, what's the what's the the address for trying to put your, your name in the running for free tickets? Oh, uh, at festival.minds.com. M-I-N-D-S.com. Festival.minds.com. And on there, basically, there is the free ticket request link. If you want to um, make a donation to the cause, there's promo 50% off promo code there as well. Totally no, you know, either way, we want you there. Festival.minds.com. Let me put this up on the screen and see if it actually it goes up. Festival.minds.com. If you are in the, tri- the tri-state area and you got nothing going on this weekend and you are within, it, you know, anywhere inside of 100 miles of New York City, I know that New York City gets everybody on edge these days, but uh, this would be a... Uh, this would be a reason that might override some of your worry. Yeah, nothing's required. No masks, no no mandates, none of that. Great, right? Because did you did you hear? I'll, I'll get back to the super chats, but did you hear about this? Speaking of privacy, Bill, here is from the AP. American Airlines are now testing face scanning at DFW Airport. Wow, they're now testing face scanning. Mm. So you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I wonder uh, what corporation is is you know landing that deal. The uh, the body scanners, God, that company. I, I always forget the name of that company, but every time I'm going through the airport, I look at their name. I'm like, those fucks. Like they just, they just absolutely like no one knows them. But the infrastructure required to build the massive body scanner, infra- like that is just so much money. So facial 
scanner. That is that's wild. I I'm surprised there hasn't been. Is that just come out today? That just came out today. AP. It, and it's it's That's being rolled level. out in Dallas Fort Worth. I just I don't understand when you hear about this stuff happening in places like Texas. I, I always used to think stronghold, but then you say no. You, there's all these these pockets of crazy. It's institutions, you are, know. Are they replacing the um, ID checkers, or are they just supplementary? I I think it's probably supplementary. Wow. But and, and let's go on a little bit more from there because here's the here's the other thing about all the censorship stuff. And I understand we were talking about before feeling jaded about content moderation. And I think we all feel jaded in some way. For instance, like we have Joe Biden strangely assuring the public the other day that another pandemic is coming. He assured it, another pandemic is coming. And then the next day you have someone like Albert Borla from Pfizer says that he is almost certain that COVID shots are going to be taken yearly. This is all within 24 hours. Now, if you connect these dots and draw an unsavory conclusion, it's not even about censorship at that point, Bill. We're, it's a question then of whether or not you are a domestic terrorist. That's a scary thing. And then you have things like this that make you wonder. This is from Technocracy News. Hundreds of millions of mRNA doses are headed for the landfill. Okay, so the UK stockpiled 650 million doses of COVID-19 injections during the pandemic, but only 142 million have been used. The remainder expire 6 to 12 months after their date of manufacture, which means millions of doses are going to end up in uh, uh, as trash. About $5 billion stands to be wasted. That seems unsanitary. Like, they can just throw... They're throwing in a landfill? Yeah. Doesn't that sound crazy? That's... That seems sketchy. Well, especially when you we get stuff like this. We've talked about this on the show before, too. This is from a couple of years ago, the, this December of 2017 from Science Daily. Well, hold on, let me get you up on screen with me. There you go. Uh, Science Daily. Fish exposed to treated wastewater have altered behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, these are all these different types of university studies about how um, antidepressants like um, Prozac have found their way into sewage systems uh, if you're flushing it whatever they found a way into sewage systems and then all out into open water and how it was altering the behavior of fish goldfish anything they're, what they're talking about in here is how um a team of researchers from environment environment canada and climate change canada and mcmaster university have found that fish living downstream from wastewater treatment plant showed changes to their normal behavior ones that made them vulnerable to predators when exposed to elevated levels of antidepressant drugs in the water now now we're going to put billions of dollars worth of mrna yeah into medical li- waste that, i mean that i'm surprised that in you don't see environmental organiza- organizations freaking out <laughs> i haven't God, what did you see uh, Biden's, uh, you know, word for America gaffe today? What? Oh, man. Just look. Um, uh, it, it just came out. He was like, if there's one word to describe America, it's... <laughs> no, it's today. You got to bring it up. I oh, ju- it, it just came up. It is just so preposterous. Run, run. Um, let me see if I can find it. Describes America in one word. Yes. Oh, yes. wait, no, wait. No, that's April 2022. Oh, that's April. Um, Biden. Let me see if I can go into filter anytime past 24 hours. Yeah. Biden. Def- okay. You found it? Bino, uh, Biden. Bino. Biden defines America in one word. Rhino hunting ad. What is this? Wait. Is this? It. Nah, it's not showing me anything. You're not finding it. Um, 
Alright, well, we'll keep talking. I'm going to look for it because you know what? It's, it's so necessary because I'm so I can't get over the inability to communicate like that's I'm really having a hard time that the commander can't talk. It's really like it's starting to I mean, it's been disturbing me, but I, it, it just keeps happening and like I need the commander to be able to talk. Speaking of. We were just talking about this the other night when we were playing this great three-minute clip of Jimmy Dore on Tucker Carlson. If you do another Minds Festival of Ideas next year, you've got to get Jimmy Dore on that I stage. I know, man. I was talking to uh, Max Blumenthal and, and Jimmy, and uh, I I wish that I, I had gotten them. Oh, man. Uh, I, I wish I, I had gotten there. Just, I, I'm already feeling like I'm, I, I should... Oh, I, I've, it just so happens that this is the weekend that I'm doing my Saturday night special, so I have to be back here in the studio by at least 8:30, so I can set up the media for 10. So that's why I have to be I have to be on the West Side Highway by like 7:30. I, here it is. I'm just going to quickly play it. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. What? Is a nation that can be defined in a single word. Is that like a Native American tongue? <laughs> yeah, it, President Biden defines America in one word. And maybe he's speaking Cherokee. To, he's, maybe he's trying to like be very deep about things. You know, talk would, about the plight of the that, Indian. I, that would be a touche moment. I, I wish that was the case. If it, that, <laughs> I would actually give him credit if he actually learned Cherokee, so he can make some kind of a, uh, uh, you know, lay some commentary down on the plight of the American Eng Indian. But right. no, right? No, he's channeling the spirit, his spirit guide. And that, that's what the gibberish is, is coming from. <laughs> I, wish he, I wish he had that excuse. <laughs> I just can't. Oh, what do you think about this? And then I want to get into something else. But this is Google, since we're talking about big platforms. This is, whatchamacallit. Okay, so now you heard about the, the whole idea about a whistleblower saying that he believes that the AI is sentient. Now, I spoke yes. with Zach Voorhees, and he said that he doesn't believe it is. Yeah, that, I don't either. That... That, that perhaps there is sentient AI that they're work, working on that there's no disclosure for, but what this guy was talking about was not it. Right, and it's easy to get tricked. I mean, because you could be communicating with some kind of AI uh, prediction engine, and it would say, like, I feel sad. Hmm. And then you would get, you know, a normal person would be like, what? It says it feels sad. Hmm. But it doesn't. Yeah. It's just it's, it's it's like autocomplete. You know, a lot of times autocomplete can be very accurate. I mean, so what what a lot of this is driven by is just very um, capable prediction engines based on you know the language that it's interpreting, and it's it's giving a very good guess. But sent like the separation between you know, a super effective prediction engine and, you know, speech AI is totally different than, you know, sentient life. Right. Like, it's a, it's a huge leap. Yeah. Okay, let's say you were you were talking to AI, because I, I, I brought this up the other day. Let's say you were talking to AI. What would the... What would the AI have to say... For you to say, without being able to go into the back end or have anybody mm -hmm. tell you, hey, this is a program we're working on, it's legit shit, it's sentient, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. What would the AI have to say to you for you to say, whoa, wait a second, 
this is this is beyond a parlor trick this is beyond customer service um, this is something that that cannot be is there anything that you can you can a line that you can put into words right now I don't know if it's something that it would say because it, it's more so the context in which it says something you know because right now there's AI bots that you could talk to that you know would say something super profound so it's it's it, it's not about the words that they say it's more about like how deep and aware the conversation goes mm-hmm. and in the context in which it says certain words and and even then like just because it passed the Turing test which is you know the kind of famous test where you know a human can't tell if it's a robot or not um so you know traditionally that was kind of the test on 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 when you know ai was like we we'd sort of like reached like general artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. if something passes that test but you can just so like look you have a google engineer over here getting getting tricked so Honestly, yeah, it's 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 not a specific word or phrase. It's it's all about. It, I would have to feel it, but even if I felt it, I don't know if I would let myself believe that it's fully sentient because right. you know I think we could still get tricked and it wouldn't be fully sentient. I think that's a good way to to protect yourself going into it. But this is something totally different than AI, which just came out about Google now. Um, Google Worker now has been fired for blowing the whistle on a spiritual organization within the company that's been accused of sex trafficking. Now, what he's talking about is the Fellowship of Friends cult, which is crazy because, and they even say it in here, there's only about 1,500 members internationally. So the fact that they could have any kind of significant representation within Google is very odd. But uh, here it says Google fired one of its employees for blowing the whistle on a doomsday-like cult, spiritual organization within the company. The employee, Kevin Lloyd, a video producer who worked for the Google Developer Studio, is now suing the tech giant, claiming he was unfairly fired in retaliation after he raised the alarm about the religious group. Um, The alleged cult-like organization, which collects 10% of its members' income, that's almost like Scientology, was founded in the 1970s by Robert Earl Burton, who has been sued for sexually assaulting male members of the group. Very weird and stuff. And what was the reason that Google gave? Now, here it says, the complaint... Oh, hold on, hold on. Let me hear. In his lawsuit, which was filed in a Californian superior court in Silicon Valley, Lloyd claims Peter Lubberstith, director of Google Developer Studio and member of Fellowship of Friends, is funneling money from Google to enrich the religious organization and that he was wrongfully terminated for informing his superiors about the issue. Mr. Lubbers gained uh, status and praise relative to the increase of money flowing to the fellowship through his efforts at Google that put and other fellow fellowship members directly and indirectly on Google's payroll. The complaint also alleges Lubbers and 12, the 12 members of the non-denominational religious group work at Google that who work at Google are using their positions to line up work for its members within the company. Wow. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. You you don't have any cults inside of minds, do you? No, sir. I don't even know anything about the spiritual inclinations of 
of our team. I maybe maybe a couple. I feel like most people don't talk about that. That's good. Yeah. That's 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 <laughs> probably a good thing to do in a, in a workplace is leave that out. Unless of course it's a an actual a religious organization, then you're there for a reason. But um, so what was the workplace test you wanted to do? No, here's the workplace oh, okay. test. Okay, okay. A thread. This is from Untermensch Lib- uh, Lightblight on Twitter. Now he put together a thread from nearly over 20 years of working. There's a lot of pepes here, so it's you know it's it's pretty based. Here's a thread. Over 20 years of working for IT for a large corporation, my team and I have developed a list of rules to live by. Now, Bill, you, you, uh, information technology, this is all up your alley, so I want to see if it passes your test. Number one. Rule number one, determine blame. This rule is typically uh, cynically given as a sign blame. It really is the first step, though. What exactly is fucked? Who fucked it? How and when? When was the last time it was not fucked? And can the fucker help us unfuck it? So what do you think about that rule? Yeah, I'm into it. I mean, accountability. Understanding who broke what. And, you know, it's not to say, like, you're going to get fired if you fucked up. But, you know, that's kind of the nice thing about a development pipeline with software. Like, you can very clearly see, like, who change the code where and what caused what and then you know also with regard say there's like a a a moderator mistake or something like it's all it it, it's all about iterating and you know obviously if, if it's repeated and you know there then there's more of an issue but yeah man accountability and just owning up to it like i i own up to to my shit anytime that's necessary right. and that's just what you want in a group. You want people to own up to their their mistakes. People, I, I believe that this is just a part of the the culture, the coddle culture that is is taking root with younger generations and and older generations too. They're just always people with problems with accountability. But um, a lot of people these days feel like they're getting attacked when it's just leave your emotions aside. Let's fix the problem. Right. You know, we're human. We're mm. not. We don't want you to be perfect. On the other hand, if you are, you know off the reservation you might have to go but rule number two under promise over deliver people already fear hate slash don't think about it or don't think about it we only we seem to only be a cost so when we enter their awareness usually when something is broken we must not make any sort of promises we can't keep and when shit is fixed make sure they know why Mm. so what do you think about that yeah man i mean with with product development, everything takes th- usually three times longer than you think it's going to take initially. So curbing expectations is so necessary. I mean, I like, for instance, we're doing a big upgrade to our video player this summer. And I, this guy that is contributing to the open source framework that we're using keeps has been he keeps telling me that it's going to be ready for the migration. And I'm just like, dude, don't tell me anything's gonna be like when it's ready let me know but stop like setting up expectations and that's just like general useful knowledge for life like don't set yourself up to miss deadlines unnecessarily it's so ridiculous that's why that is why going back to cults i cannot stand doomsday cults and their rapture dates you know Mm -hmm. i don't know how many times bill in the last 15 years well i haven't done this in a long time um, but there was like a, fe- a, 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 a series of 
maybe five to seven years that we were getting at least one or two dates for the end of the world every year mm. where we would stay up until midnight in New Zealand to see if the end of the world happened. You know, that's what we would think. Okay, well, if this is the rapture date, then why the hell would it only be an East Coast time? Let's just watch New Zealand. Right. And, you know, after being let down so many times, it's just like, to hell with this already. I'm well, just going to wait. Sorry, yeah. The, I mean, we, the legendary one, which is so far in the past that there's probably a lot of people who don't even know about it, but was the December 21st, 2012. I mean, that was w wild. It's huge. It was so big. And, you know, I actually know a guy um, who wrote a book called 2012, this guy Daniel, Daniel Pinchbeck. Have you mm. ever heard of him? No. He's like a, a famous psychedelic researcher. And, you know, he wasn't saying in the book that, like, something is definitely going to happen and yeah i mean but with the mind calendar and like as a general transformative time i think that that's maybe realistic that if we zoomed out ten thousand years that we might be able to look at this period of time and be like oh okay there was actually massive transformation happening in this sort of window but to to your point like a specific date and time is completely ridiculous just because of the nature of time yeah time is is flexible it's 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 you know well yeah that's what we know time time is sort of flexible i know quite yeah. a few people who think that to that, that there was a splitting or a fork in the road in in the timeline in 2012 that there was a little bit more of a spiritual split at that point mm -hmm. hey I, I was waiting for december 21st 2012 for since high school right because not only were we me and my friends in we were into Nostradamus predictions. We were into the whole idea of the Mayan calendar running out and what that could mean, what are the different interpretations. But also in in uh, in Christian mysticism, there is this whole concept of the three days of darkness. And a lot of people have put that on a December 21st date as well. Uh, that's that's a whole other scary thing. We, you know, Which, but, I mean, you know, December 21st is solstice and... You know, there there is sort of a, a transition happening just like, you know, biologically during that time with the planet. But the, the one thing that I really gained from all of the 2012 stuff was just really learning about the calendar system and the system of time that we use. And actually, this is one of the things that Daniel talks about really deeply in his book. There's this Princeton form, uh, form, Princeton professor who, who died, this guy, Dr. Jose Arguelles who basically created this lunar calendar. Like, we use Gregorian time. Yeah. Louis C.K. does a hilarious, hilarious bit about the count, like, how, you know, basically, Christians won. Like, time is, me like, what is, what year is it? I know. It's, it, it is 20, <laughs> it's 2,022 years since Christ was born. Right, right. So, <laughs> I mean... The fact that so the whole thesis of Arguelles was that the reason humanity has so much dysfunction is because we don't use a lunar calendar. So he thinks that there's sort of this like subconscious um, rotting that is happening in human civilization because our system of time is not connected with the cycle, the natural cycle of the moon. It's mm. sort of like this distorted kind of mechanized system and i th it's very heady to think about but the calendar is literally one of the most base level systems 
that humanity uses and no one even thinks about it like why just like with like daylight savings and like all all of these sort of synthetic things that are happening with what dictates all of human motion and schedules so i actually am sort of supportive of the idea of a lunar calendar i don't think that it's necessarily immediately practical at all but i don't see why we wouldn't a b test it <laughs> to I be honest <laughs> i have a i have a pretty seasoned astrologer coming on thursday night tomorrow night ask him about that i yeah. should I, in yeah. fact after the show i'm going to have you text me a the the the, the or i could i can just listen back to this and text this uh, get right down the synopsis because he can he probably can go into that well the thing is that a lot of, like i don't think that you know lunar calendars they don't require any sort of astrology belief or anything i'm not you know necessarily discounting everything about astrology but astrology is actually very much based on the gregorian calendar because mm -hmm. it's all you know your sign is sort of dictated by your gregorian calendar birthday and in the in lunar calendars you know there's 13 cycles of the moon every year so lunar calendars have actually 13 months um, and I don't think that there has to be anything like spiritual necessarily about the idea of synchronizing with the moon, but I would be very curious what an astrologer would say about that because it's like, I like, I would ask them, why are they so confident in the Gregorian calendar? Right. Why would I, I hate the, the good, good points. Good point is true, and you know what? Speaking of, I, I know that the Gregorian calendar is is huge, especially if you're conducting business internationally. But we know that there are several cultures out there that do work. I mean, the Chinese Chinese calendar is a uh, is a little bit different. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that that uh, it for for Jews, they are it's it's like year eight thousand right now or something. Right. So. I, yeah, there the, are other options. There are other options, yeah. and some of them are actually being. But what is the predominant? Yes, you're right. You are right. So let's get now. Getting back to this, that was under promise, over deliver, and we were. I guess that we got to that because rapture dates were one of those. Stop over promising. Okay, the end of the world isn't right. Going. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's number three. It only has like five, five or six uh, points here. So let's just run through them. Number three. It is better to ask for. Hold on. It's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. Frequent, frequent, uh, frequently. True, but more importantly, often the only way shit ever gets done. The most catastrophic outages I've ever had were the ones with a lot of planning and people involved beforehand. So what do you think about that? Someone just taking the bull by the horns and asking for forgiveness afterwards instead of permission to do something. 100%. Okay. 100%. Go for it. Experiment. Try to, you know, have your random... Don't let your random burst of, of inspiration, you know, some late night stop you from from building something really cool like there's so many products that if they had asked permission would never have happened i mean even just take like the whole initial like m you know music uh mp3 kind of torrents with napster and all of the the music sharing i mean what they were going to go ask the music industry for permission to revolutionize how music is like no you just don't and so yeah i mean that's not to say never ask for permission but you know if you think that it is going to hold back like some monstrous innovation 
for sure. Well, I'm with you on that one. I I like people who take initiative, especially if you, especially if you have people on your staff. I want to make sure that everybody has the the big picture in mind and only the best interest. And you can tell that just by how you how you pick through through um, whatever processes you have in in place. Who is on your team? And if you trust everybody has the same exact. They know what they're what they're working toward, and they have and they have their head in the right place. Then you got to be able to, to to let people loose. Yeah, but I I would also say that, you know, we build in public first of all. So like, actually anybody here could even go and look at our our roadmap and all of our issues and our project management management system. It's all on GitLab. If you go to developers.minds.com, you can see you can see all of it, and. I don't think that people should necessarily be working in silos and like doing something like, like you don't have to ask permission. Just say what, be, be somewhat transparent about it. Mm. I don't think that people should just go into like corners for months and like be working on something without getting feedback from any of the team necessarily. So it's sort of a little bit like you don't need to ask to do something just like, in the group chat just like you know yeah. share share some teasers you don't have to ask permission yeah 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 okay i get you there there here's number four here is number four uh a lazy administrator is a good administrator the quiet fat fuck guy in the corner who never does anything well he does uh he never does anything because his shit is set up correctly and isn't always fucking exploding mm. the excited kid with the scripts is not to be trusted what does the scripts mean? It's maybe like, uh, yeah, like a script, like some sort of command. Okay. It's like, you know, like a software script to do it, to do a certain job. Um, you know, I don't know about that one. I think that just because people have their shit on lockdown and, you know, everything is working, work, working efficiently and they, you know, maybe they seem calm. I don't think calm and laziness are the same. So I don't agree with lazy, but I agree with with calm and not just like being too um too excited and crazy all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well this, this is why I wanted to bring it up because I I mean I w- I guess I would just uh I would just have taken anything as an answer and say, yeah, that sounds pretty profound. <laughs> but you, what about you? What do you think? I, I, well, this, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when, when you get... It's the same. It's not just for IT. I think it's just it's sort well, of... Well, the other ones I related to a little bit more than mm-hmm. this, but, you know, administrators and running scripts and having a, a manager on hand, I really don't... I really don't... You know, before, before the broadcasting became full-time for me, mm-hmm. I was personal training. So there's really... The other ones... The other ones are really, you know, ask for forgiveness, then ask for permission. Under promise, over deliver. That's definitely universal. Uh, determining blame. That's, I mean, you have to fit. If any kind of problem pops up in life, you have to understand what the problem is and not be afraid to state it. Yeah. I mean, so. for, for certain jobs in tech, it's, it's absolutely true that if things are quiet, it means things are working. Hmm. And so that's a good sign. However... There's always more work that that person can be doing to, you know, improve their monitoring systems or like we just hired this this really awesome site reliability engineer who, you know, is just constantly, you know, he's not yelling about fires going on, but he's talking a lot about like his plans to make his job even easier so that, 
you know, there are even less fires. That's great. Yeah. And, and that's and that's what, you know, uh, I think it was, who was, who the, think and grow rich. Who the hell wrote that? Napoleon Hill or something like that? You talk about forming masterminds uh, to be able to bring in people who specialize in what they do and have a mastermind of people. And, and, and that's it. It's just a lot more. There's a lot more comfort in delegation and trusting people who are proactive like that. Uh, there's three more here. Number five, don't do anything important on a Friday. Never do an outage. Never do an outage, upgrade, change, experiment, new ad, anything on the last day of the week. Don't even think new thoughts. The, uh, not only may it fuck up your weekend, but if you, but if you get in the deep shit, all of the outside support is drunk. They're gone. I, I agree with it. Okay. Yep. We we definitely do not ship new stuff on Fridays. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Fridays is where where the mainstream media and the uh, the political class drop big news so people forget about it. Mm. So that's don't don't do important things. You only bury important things on Friday. Number six. Don't lead the user. User walks in, let them tell you the problem. Don't speculate, muse, suggest, or even ask a question until they finish telling you the problem. That sort of mistake can lead to them omitting information needed to unfuck or worse, giving you more work. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, with user testing, specifically with apps, I love just watching, like, I'm like sketchy in the background, like watching, Uh, but just watching people use the app without me saying anything and just understanding like human behavior and like in terms of like user experience design you can just tell so much just by seeing people's instincts and like there there's even like my two-year-old like a good app a two-year-old they can't like really use it but they sort of can like i'll get my two-year-old uh youtube and she's just like down a tunnel Hmm. like she can totally swipe and like turn things off and stop and like big tech the thing is that they do have brilliant engineers and designers like there's a reason that they're so successful like youtube is an absolutely brilliantly built app other than the fact that it's completely rotten in a surveillance dystopian nightmare you know the same with a lot of these other apps. I mean, and that's why we see every app is kind of becoming the same thing. Think about it. Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. I mean, they all have slight variation, but it's basically you've got DMs, you've got a feed. That's it. Yeah. You post. So they all have little tweaks, but like that to me is almost like this collective consciousness sort of determining like okay this is the most efficient way for humans to communicate in this sort of medium yeah i want to be able to create i want to be able to consume i want to be able to uh chat with people and so that's why every app is the same and what we're basically saying is that it just has to be open source it has to be encrypted um you know it has to pay creators and it just has to do things in the interest of the user but otherwise a lot of the innovation that big tech has made has been like epic yeah, I yeah. I often I often describe uh, platforms like YouTube as a uh, as a, a a wasted miracle. Right. You know, it. I understand why people uh, w- would prefer everybody do their live streaming on YouTube. It's 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 uh, it's easy. It's fast. 
everything is everything works well it's brilliantly designed as you said but there is a culture rot there is a, it's been it's been uh, you know we've been placed in the crosshairs of the machine that they created and it's um that's just horrible and that's why i always pray for resurrection and and uh, and being able to right the ship but that is a much that's a tall tall order here let's i think the last one here is number seven we are on our own no matter what you are told if the users and the bosses think you own it then you do nobody's coming to help and if they do they can't be trusted you have to make shit happen on your own the data center is your baby protect it and it will protect you Hmm. Is that is that just is that too cynical? I think that I understand what they're saying. They're basically just saying saying that at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to do your job. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that for sure. I mean, people, I you would have to. I don't know if I fully even understood it. To be honest, sorry. Well, brain, I mean, brain fart. I, I don't know if it, it, it's just if you're strung out to dry. I mean, you're on your own. I guess. I guess that. Uh, I guess if if this is what you're tasked with doing, on the IT end of things, when something goes wrong, or you know, I mean, right. no, nobody's coming to save you. You're the be all end all in, yeah. in getting it fixed. Yeah, I do agree with that. And what I can say, you know, so our team, we've got like 16 people on our team, like half of whom are full stack engineers and all we look for when we hire a new developer is someone who can do it on their own Hmm. who doesn't need to be spoon-fed who you can just say this is what we want to accomplish and they just take it and own it there's so you know so many people just need to be babied and that's you know not necessarily um you know, it's understandable. Some people just aren't there yet with being able to be fully independent with development. But like, there's sort of a thing in the in the tech world called like a 10x developer. It's just this idea. It's almost like a unicorn, but you can find them, and they're just highly intuitive people that you can just give a problem, and then you you know the next day it's solved. It's weird. Um, it's weird. It's like a personality type as well as like a skill set. Do you do the uh, the, the uh, personality? Do you when you are evaluating new um, employees? Do you do the personality tests? Uh, you mean like the s- some of the the structured tests? Like the uh, the what's like the, the oh man what the hell is the, the the big one? Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. No, the answer, no, we don't. Um, but that's kind of an interesting thing to do I don't know enough about it to really be able to judge it I but I definitely interview everybody that we hire and like try to have like a long couple hour conversation Myers-Briggs Myers-Briggs yeah yeah um I'm not saying that there's not value there, but no, we don't do that. Maybe okay. maybe you should look into it. Uh, again, do you? No, no, I don't. Well, first of all, I, I mean, I I I have a very very small staff, right. and we are all we're all very very close, and uh, there's not there's not you, you, it's not as complex as an operation as you. Hopefully, we do uh, take that couple of steps up soon. But um, the Meyer, I know that the Myers Briggs tests. I know of at least one person who is in a 
who worked for a, a very well-known company, well-known because they are very powerful, mm. well-known because there's a lot of conspiracy theories about them, that when somebody comes in, they've been recruited, they take these Myers-Briggs tests, mm. and they actually find a position for them that actually suits their personality. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's... um. That's 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 I know how some people have taken it. Um. I'm not against it. I think that, you know, having people fill out surveys which can help you make put them in a spot where they're happier and they're fulfilling something that really inspires them. You know, it'd be interesting to also do a political compass also because one thing that I do ask everybody that we hire is, you know, their stance on Internet freedom and free speech and stuff just because. You know, we actually, a few years ago, you know, did have some issues with some people who are really struggling with kind of the free speech debate. And I think that that's totally fine. But for us, we need people to understand the philosophy and understand that, look, there's going to be some controversy and you need to be prepared for controversy when you're fighting for free speech yes and and it, it like i'm just not willing to to fight that battle like i'm we're, we're already fighting that battle with the with the media you know attack making attacks about free speech it's like we don't need that internally and i think you're starting to see this trend with like companies like coinbase um, um there have been a handful of uh base camp which is like a project management platform they've come out and they said look we're not doing this political correctness like uh, social justice thing at the company like you can do that but we're not it's not going to infect the workplace and i think that that's a totally because reasonable it, it destroys thing. companies oh yeah i i mean w there's no better there's no better cultural example now than what disney did with every franchise that mm. they took on star wars has been destroyed and 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 then when people because of course by taking those stances publicly as organizations of people the more you start doing that um I, it's not a social club you're actually trying to provide products for people and when right. you start taking these stances and stand by them and get more, more vociferous about your your stances there your support or your uh, your opposition then you are i mean it, it's just common sense you are telling a huge part of your consumer base were not for you. Right. And and that's why they have nothing but to explain why every Star Wars project is tanking because of bad uh, reception and bad writing, bad character development, all that shit because they're trying to push this message. Right. Um, all, all they have left is calling the fan base bigoted. <laughs> and that's all they have left. So it's destroying corporations all over the place. I'll, I'll never use a Gillette razor ever again in my life. Yeah. And that was three years we, ago. We saw, you know, Netflix is starting to reverse course recently um you know they still I'm, I'm not saying that they're uh great or anything yet but like they did stand up for Chappelle, and they've kind of made statements that you know they're going to defend this stuff i don't you know i don't know if they're completely doing it but yeah i mean this actually gives me hope for the future because businesses look for customers if you want the maximum number of customers then you should not alienate your customers politically so just that raw fact in terms of companies want, you know, the economy is crushed. Companies want to make money. So if companies want to make money, then they should probably not cut off a major percentage of their potential customers. Like this is super basic and I think it should give us hope.
Yeah. Because if people want to make money and survive economically, the company can't play politics. It is. It is. It is. Uh, it's definitely something that gives me a lot of hope. And um, and that's why I'm I'm just holding on to dear life and putting some good work in and trying to stay true to whatever principles we have because it's really just a waiting game. What we're up against is unsustainable. As we said before, the mm -hmm. reason why the censorship needs to be used and utilized in such really suffocating ways is because if there is any uh, if there's any scintilla of of honest dialectic dialogue between two warring camps, then the that hard line in between is going to just destroy be destroyed. Mm -hmm. They have to keep us at either side. It's like a it's like a seventh grade gym. They got to keep us on either side of the gym. No one dancing in the middle because it it might loosen up in here a little bit. Can't have that. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I'm very optimistic about all of the stuff with free speech just because I mean look we have centuries of battle tested first amendment case law you know a couple of Silicon Valley lawyers from you know a handful of big tech companies who think that they can social engineer the population with their restrictive policy like they're not going to come up with a better policy than the first amendment free speech is like it's almost like physics you need if if people want to become as educated as possible you need as much information and speech as possible to become as educated as possible this is why people in totalitarian countries you know they crave the freedoms that we have that people who live here want to give up so <laughs> it's just like physically humanity wants freedom it, it, that that is just the momentum of of life so I really, I, I think that, we, we, you know, we have some obstacles here, but to be honest, I don't think that they can possibly stand a chance. I don't think long so. Long term. Yeah. I don't think so either. And I, I really, I really appreciate it for the time you came and spent with us tonight. I, I want to do a couple of more quick super chats and then I have to do the badass of the night and then we are off. We are off for the evening. Albert Frederick says, word around the campfires that they are going to attempt another shutdown before the 4th of July. Just saying. Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, they can attempt it, but what? I don't know. Let's just wait and see. What did you find that on some some deep dark minds group? That in, that that intel <laughs> minds. <laughs> I have to go. You know what? I have to get in there uh, and and start getting myself into some more minds groups because my my time spent on minds has been just decimated. Uh, I know I had a little bit of an access problem there, but we'll, we'll get you going. Well, I'm, I've got to get this. You're on there. At, at quite frankly, find them. At quite frankly. Um, Albert Frederick says, well, Bill Altman is just a cool guy. Just saying, truth is easy to identify. Indeed. And thank you, Stostube, for sending a nice little blessing for tonight's show. And uh, on the Rockfin, we have a nice number of people hanging out and doing their thing. Um, and on Theta and on YouTube, great people hanging out there, too. Twitch and DLive, everybody's having a good time. Now, uh, after this show concludes in a couple of moments... Go to quitefrankly.tv because it is it is Rabbit Hole Wednesday, as you know, in the After Hour programming. And Abe and the guys at the network are going to be putting some great stuff live going into the night. Here's what we have on for Rabbit Hole Wednesday. Art Bell, Time Traveler. Okay. A movie based on that theory in Art Bell's missing 411 episode for the late night. 
And that's uh, the time traveler caller conspiracy, I should say. So that's for Rabbit Hole Wednesdays on QuiteFrankly.tv. Get on over there and enjoy yourself as much as you've enjoyed this show here tonight. Now, as far as our super, our badass goes, I had a little bit less time putting this together today because I had really crazy things going on in my personal life that maybe I'll tell you about in a day or two when everything gets um, on the mend there. But uh, let's do it. Who the hell is our badass for Wednesday night? That's some badass shit. It's pretty badass. Yes, well, like I said, it is a quick one here tonight. So I'm going to do something I haven't done. And I might, I should, I might revisit him because I have to do more than this. But I have to do something. And I'm going to give you a little something on Mr. Frank Sinatra. Old Blue Eyes from Hoboken. From Hoboken. Now, there's a lot to say about Frank Sinatra's career. But I'm just going to leave you with a pretty badass story about Frank Sinatra. Uh, more specifically with Sammy Davis Jr., Sometime in the late 1940s, before either man was famous, Frank Sinatra, uh, well, well, Sinatra was, he was already doing well in the 40s, um, but, yeah, anyway, Sinatra appeared in a uh, theater in New York. After his show, he went to Harlem to see the Will Maston Trio, led by a young Sammy Davis Jr. Frank was blown away by Sammy's talent, and after the show, he asked Sammy to come see his show. A week goes by, no Sammy, so Sinatra goes back to Harlem to see the Will Maston Trio again and asks Sammy why he didn't show up. Sammy said he was there, but they wouldn't let him in. Frank stormed back to the theater, tore up his contract in front of them, never performed there again. That would be a common theme during the course of their friendship and careers. When Sammy wasn't allowed to play at the Copacabana, Frank wouldn't play there either. When Sammy was refused a Las Vegas hotel room, Frank said, give him my room. After Sammy's car accident, when he lost his eye, it was Sinatra who paid all his, uh, his medical bills. After five decades and 40 years of performing together, a reporter once asked Frank why he was always so charitable to Sammy. Frank responded in three words, he's my brother. So a little bit of a nice, badass relationship between Frank and, and Sammy. Of course, Sammy's got a little bit of a dark history. I'm not talking about his skin. I'm talking about, I'm talking about you know, he said a, a few things that have made our eyebrows quirk. And we also got some pretty badass stories about Frank Sinatra from John Barber when he's been on this show quite a few times. So that's our little, um, our little honorable mention tonight, and I'll get back on track with a more full reporting. You know, Bill, in, uh, in June we do, everybody has political months now, so our political month in June is badass month. And every day we do a spotlight on a different badass from history. Nice. All eras, all over the world, and Sinatra was tonight. Bill, thank you so much for everything tonight, man. Thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Minds.com, I cannot wait for whatever I'm going to be able to witness on Saturday, and I can't wait to see. You said everything's going to be streamed. We'll be, we'll be able to watch it in, in the after afterward yep yep it'll yeah it'll be re released after after any support you know live stream or at the event we'd love to have you let's let's kick ass man would you allow us to actually rebroadcast on our on our our network i mean sometime after yeah I, yeah we, for sure we'll, we'll work that out yeah we'll work it out yeah. i would love to have that on the network one night so people um from all over the place who haven't been able to see it unless of course it's going to be for sale or rent or something we'll wait a few weeks afterwards or whatever um i don't know we'll work it out Anyway, thank you for everything. I hope it's the first of many visits here, dude. Absolutely, man. I'll be back. All right, ladies and gents, that's all we have for you tonight. That was Bill Altman, and now I am uh, 
I'm kicking off down that dusty trail. So we'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow. And good night. Be well. And Thursday is upon us. Sleep easy. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was gonna put him. I have to play it again. <laughs> All right. Good night for real. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with Albert Frederick, Stostube, MLG. Thank you to everybody else on Pilled.net, Tom Ford, Donkey Punch, Tangerine 26, and Tom Ford again. Free speech and no chat spamming. Yeah, we're going to get into more of this when, when Bill comes back. But thank you, guys and gals. I'm releasing the scratching on Foxhole as we speak. And I'll see you later. Enjoy Rabbit Hole Wednesdays on QuiteFrankly.tv.